This series on miracles, the miracles of Jesus, windows 22, miracles as windows through which to look and see the nature of the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to end the message, and it may be to you in a little bit of a different place. We're not looking at a miracle, but I'm going to end the message looking at it. We are looking in general at miracles. In the fifth century, it was St. Augustine who said this, miracles are not in contradiction to nature. They are only in contradiction with what we know in nature. End of quote. The dominant worldview of our time, of course, is naturalism. That the only thing that is real is what is material in the material world. The world is a closed system, we are told by the naturalist, that has created itself. Now, wow, doesn't it take a lot of faith to believe that the world created itself, we who are critiqued as loony people of faith from time to time? Well, let's, let's just stand toe-to-toe and talk about faith. In that world, all natural laws reign supreme and uninterrupted. Or as Carl Sagan, the astrophysicist, from Cornell and the former generation who used to have the program Cosmos on PBS said at the beginning of every program, the cosmos is all that there is and all that there ever will be, end of quote. In 2013, there was an article that appeared in the New Yorker magazine written by Adam Gopnik. He wrote, and I quote, we know that in the billions of years of the universe's existence, There is no evidence of a single miraculous interruption with the laws of nature. We need not imagine there's no heaven. Interrupting the quote, he's there, of course, paraphrasing John Lennon. We need not imagine there's no heaven. We know there is none. And we will search for angels forever in vain. End of quote. This extreme dismisses the possibility of anything beyond the material world of time and space. Now, in faith, there is the opposite extreme. If that is an extreme on one side where naturalism has no room for God to act miraculously in the world, then on the other end of the extreme is the faith extreme, that sees miracles in everything and notes it. Uh, uh, Now, you have to remember that I grew up, while in a different tradition by conviction based on the Scripture, I grew up in Pentecostalism. Grandpa was the pastor of the church where I grew up. Now, Sometimes in those circles, it was called a full gospel church. If you've ever wondered what the word full means, it means all the full-orbed powers of God that were manifest in the New Testament are living and embodied in the life of our church. And so on the other extreme is, you know, every service is piled full of miracles and every week is full of testimonies of miraculous things that happen. 
Now, by the way, you need to listen clear through the message because I'm going to close telling you we need to keep our eyes open because God can do anything. And so there's a part of this spirit of just waiting to see what God will do that is a posture of faith and that I appreciate. But there, these claims of miracles all the time, I, I, I tired of even as a little boy. I grew a little suspicious because there was always an out Someone was prayed for. We were reaching for some miracle. And the out was always, well, what'd you expect? They didn't have enough faith. What? I mean, remember, we studied Jesus' miracles where he ran across persons that didn't even know who Jesus was. They weren't exercising, not only were they not exercising faith, they didn't even know who he was, and Christ healed them. Uh, so in the Gospels, Christ's healing power is not inhibited by whatever amount of faith that we have or don't have. Uh, so, um, but I, I, I grew suspicious, and, and my suspicions uh, maybe peaked with, uh, and I, I, I actually love this. We've gotten away from that. We're real sophisticated you know, people now. And, but I grew up in a place where everybody was brother and sister, Brother Mike and Brother Linda, uh, Brother Rudy, uh, Sister Pam. And, and that's how we addressed each other. And it wasn't some you know, silly church speak that was crazy. It was actually affectionate. And it recognized the bond that we have together in Christ. There's something that brings us together. And it's this right here, the blood of Jesus Christ. He's brought us together. Well, uh, Sister Gasway would come. Now, she was not a regular and she was in a wheelchair. So we all knew she wouldn't be there all the time. But once in a while, Sister Gasway would come. And, and as I recall, it's about every six months. And whenever she came, it, it was quite a time together in praise to our Lord because uh, it, the service you know, had all kinds of exacerbations of passion and shouts of praise to God. And, and uh, you know, again, you never knew what was going to take place. It was kind of fun to go to church as a little boy. Uh, but anyway, at the end of the service, you know, Grandpa would say, no, anybody want to pray for before we leave? And Sister Gassaway would inev inevitably volunteer herself wheel herself up in the wheelchair, and man, the saints would get around her and earnestly cry out for God to heal Sister Gasway, to give her lame body the ability to walk around. Then we'd pray, and then it was like, okay, what did God do in that moment while we prayed? And to my, first, to my astonishment as a little boy, Sister Gasway got up out of that chair, and she walked over on one side of the church, and she walked over another side. And I mean, if we thought the service had really taken flight before then, I mean, the whole place came unglued at that point. And it was, it was crazy with praise. Then we'd dismiss. Somebody would say a closing prayer. And as a boy, I was always confused. Sister Gasway would get back in the wheelchair, and they'd wheel her out to the car, and she'd go home. Now, whatever that was, it, it, it appeared dissimilar to me than the miracles of Christ in the gospel. And I was trying to process all this. Now, I've just finished this series on miracles. We're now done with that series. What are we supposed to think about miracles? What are we supposed to expect? Have you ever prayed for a miracle? I have. What are we supposed to expect when we pray for a miracle? Is God just playing with us? What is the biblical way to think about it? Let's end this series being next to Jesus every Sunday right here. And let's do it in two different ways. First... Allow me to place three foundation stones as our base. That's point one. And then point two, we'll take five cues for how to think about miracles from the Bible. And we'll build the superstructure right on top of those three founding stones 
That's our plan of attack. We'll use our Bible in several different places and use our minds and our hearts and renew our minds to think about miracles in this way. First, let's lay a biblical foundation for the consideration of miracles with three stones. Stone number one, the apostles did great miracles. Come with me to 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Now, by all standards of description from the history recorded in the New Testament by Luke in the book of Acts, the apostles, these deputized emissaries who were filled with the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost with the church and led the church, um, they did miracles. You get to Acts chapter 3, Peter heals the lame man. The lame man is begging. Peter prays for him, and the text records he's walking and leaping and praising God. Not only did Jesus heal the lame, but the apostles. Here is Peter who heals the lame. Now, you go to Acts chapter 20, and you come to uh, a young man named Eutychus, who is seated in the seal of the window on the second floor, listening to Paul preach. And I'm sure many of you can identify that. I've, I've watched some of you identify with it. He fell off to sleep while Paul preached. It got worse. He fell out of the window. Tragically, he died. It was a mortal wound when he hit the ground. Paul stopped the service, went down, prayed for Eutychus, and Eutychus was raised from the dead, by the way. Sidebar just for a minute. Don't forget about Eutychus. We're going to come back to him. All these full gospel places. When is the last time we had somebody being raised from the dead? Now, wait a minute. If you're full, how full are you? Uh, the blind see, the lame walk, raised from the dead. Jesus did that. We've watched that. The apostles did that. By the way, I am half, probably not even half the preacher Paul was. I do have the ability to put people to sleep as I preach. Paul had that same ability. I, if you lop over dead, I, I, you're on your own. I can't help you. I, just ha I, just ha I can put you to sleep, but I can't wake you up in that sense. Now, come with me to Acts. Uh, okay, let me read 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a, here it is, true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. Hear the word of the Lord. Notice what Paul says, that there are signs that accompany the apostles' work, the true apostles. Now, of course, there broke out in the early church an argument about who's the true apostles and who's the not true apostles. And it reminded me of this guy I went to school with at Cedarville. Uh, you know, baseball season's in the spring. In the fall, we all came together. We're all freshmen. He was saying, yeah, I got a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. Can't wait till baseball starts. 93-mile-an-hour fastball? Now, I know you need like 107-mile-an-hour one now to make the big leagues. But, you know, back when I went, if you had a 93, if you were 18 years old and had a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, you were headed to the big leagues if somebody get a hold of you in the right way. And so we were all expecting him to head to the big leagues. He made this. Boulder Dash statement, I got a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. That worked September, October, November, December, January, February. It started working a little bit less in March and April and May because spring broke out, baseball started, and it was go time. And when we put the clock 
on the old picture, we were not coming up with 9-3 on the meter. Now, he feigned to be, have credentials that were Major League Baseball credentials. Hey, I got a fastball. It's 93 miles an hour. But when push came to shove and he got out on the mound, it wasn't 93 miles an hour. It's probably no secret to you to realize he never made it to the big leagues. Some said, oh, I'm an apostle. But Paul says, here are the signs of the true apostles. Here's how you can tell who's in the big leagues. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. Notice, true apostle. With utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now, come with me over to Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. Notice Luke's narrative of the early church. He stops for a summary statement. Eric, what was going on? Luke tells us. Acts 5, 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Hear the word of the Lord. So here Luke, in describing what was going on, noted that the apostles had an extraordinary role. That's our first foundation stone. The apostles did great miracles. Now let's build it a little bit more. Secondly, second stone, God used authenticating signs through the apostles to establish the church. How do you wake up a pagan world covered over with indulgence and sinful tragedy and they were dead to God. How do you wake them up? God woke them up through the apostles doing the very miracles that Christ did. Come to Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3, 4, and 5. Now watch the process. Look at the words in the text. How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? God has provided in the gift of knowing Jesus such a great salvation. How do we ever hear about this? Notice the process. Three steps. Step one. It was delivered at first by the Lord. What's that? That's Jesus Christ in the incarnation delivered the message of this so great a salvation. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus invited us to come. It was declared at first by the Lord. That's Jesus. Second part of the process. And it was attested to us by those who heard. Now the astute reader looks down at that word those and says, who are those? Who was it that was around Jesus to hear the message, come unto me and I will save you? Jesus said in John 6, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now who heard Jesus? Who was with Jesus and heard him say that? Who are the those? The those are the apostles. The men around Jesus heard his message. Let's look back at the process again. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. Okay, check. It was attested to us by those who heard. The apostles. That God used the apostles 
to attest, to confirm, to authenticate the message. Now, in a moment, he's going to tell us, third part of the process, how he did that, if you can stand this word, attestation, uh, this morning. Because uh, I, I couldn't remember what uh, they do in the state of Kentucky. I remember in Ohio, there's always a sticker on the gas pump. It says something like, the local auditor has measured the weights and measure and has judged this pump to be worthy so that when you stick a gallon of gas in your tank and it says a gallon, what you've actually done is you've stuck a gallon of gas in your tank. Now, in the state of the great commonwealth of Kentucky, uh, the Department of Agriculture does this. So I had to whip into a station this morning take a picture so I could figure out what sticker we put on our pumps here in Kentucky. The Kentucky Department of Agriculture inspected this pump. It's good for 2022 and 2023. And what it does, it attests that this is authentic. This pump is real. This is the right pump. We'll give you the right measures we are confirming. It's kind of the uh, good housekeeping seal of approval from Kentucky that you can trust this. Now, follow the words. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was process, step one, declared first by the Lord, step two. It was attested to us by those who heard while, a time word. God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We're going to come back to that term in just a moment. So delivered by Jesus, attested by those who heard. How did God attest it? He took those who heard the apostles and he worked miracles through them. God bore witness by signs and wonders. What were the miracles' purpose? They were God's stamp of approval on the gospel. It gave credibility to the gospel in a pagan world. How are we here 2,000 years later? Because God established and broke into a slumbering, sinful world, headed to hell, and he broke in with a message of hope and life and vitality and invited everyone who would come to Jesus Christ, this great salvation, and he confirmed that it was true through those miracles. Now, some of you are just a little bit ahead of me, and so you're already at Hebrews 13. Yeah, but Eric, doesn't it say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever? And if he did it then, now, keep that thought. Let's keep running this out as we go along. There is a grammatical association in Hebrews 2, 3, 4, and 5 with the apostles, those and these attesting signs and wonders. They are grammatically tied together. The author of the book of Hebrews wrote it in a way that the reader would associate these signs, wonders, and mighty gifts with the those who heard the message from Jesus and passed it out. Third stone is this. Miracles are not a fail-safe against unbelief. Now, all of us feign as if we're from Missouri, you know, the show-me state. I'll tell you what, you show me and I'll believe. Seeing is believing, Eric. By the way, that verse is not in the Bible. It's also not true. 
You say, no, wait a minute, Eric, I'd believe if I saw a miracle. If I saw a miracle, I'd believe. Isn't it interesting that all the miracles in the Bible, really in a consolidated way, if you, if you condense all the time of the miracle, it's about 100 years of human history. I mean, it starts with six miraculous days, and it did not, did it not get off to a great start. And God said, let there be, and it was so. And God saw everything that made me hold it was very good. That was six days of miraculous stuff. And you go along with some miraculous birth sprinkled here and there. And you get the Moses, the people of Israel, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. You say, buddy, if I was there to see those ten plagues and watch God, the one true God, Yahweh, take down all the gods of Egypt, a big old smackdown, if I was there, boy, I would be in it for the long haul. I'd be one of the faithful they cross the Red Sea. They go out in the wilderness and wander around. They get water from the rock. They get manna every morning. That's the group that died in rebellion. You have the very ones that saw all those miracles. So everybody hankering for miracles. Hey, if I only saw miracles, I'd be okay. But wait a minute. They saw the miracles. That's why we had Garrett. And Garrett, you read it so well. God be praised for how you read the Word of God this morning. It's, I find it such a great privilege to read the Word of God to the people of God. Thank you for reading. Jesus himself said, look, even if somebody goes back from the dead, they aren't going to believe. By the way, prefiguring his own resurrection and also the unbelief of sinful humanity who would not be moved by the empty tomb of Jesus Christ our Lord. So even great miracles don't move people for belief. And so everybody's saying, oh, if I saw a miracle, I'd believe. Well, really, you want to hear the psalmist's take on the people who saw all those miracles back in Moses' day? Psalm 95, 10, and 11. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. Hear the word of the Lord. Who's he talking about? All those people who saw all those miracles and were full of all that disobedience. Isn't that amazing? So miracles are not a fail-safe against unbelief. All right, with the foundation of those three points, let's build a superstructure of five cues on how to think about miracles. What's the biblical way to think about them? Let's note five cues. Number one, the ultimate healing for a broken world will happen when Jesus Christ comes again. Romans 8, 22 and 23. Under the curse, the whole earth and all of creation groans and travails like a woman in childbirth waiting to be redeemed. And that redemption is coming with Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's coming. And here's what it's going to look like when it comes. Revelation 21.4. Hear the word of the Lord. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our yearnings to be healed, our yearnings that everything would be right and straightened out in all of the messed up circumstances, are yearnings for heaven and yearnings for what is coming. 
when Jesus gets here. They're yearnings for paradise. So our instincts are right. We weren't built for a sinfully cursed world. We were built for Eden. And for everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, that's where we're headed. This side of eternity, we shall suffer and we shall die. And if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we shall go to be with him. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we shall experience eternal peril away from him. Why would we want to be with him in eternity if we wanted nothing to do with him in time? And God invites everyone to himself in Jesus Christ. Cue number two, God is free and does what pleases him and is not obligated to heal or do miracles. Back to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. Notice what he says. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to whatever his people thought that they should receive from our Lord. According to every dream they ever had about what they were owed by God. No, he says they were distributed according to his will. God does what he wants. Do you give him the freedom to be God and do what he will? God is free. He decides when and how to act. God's ways are perfect and best. No verse in the Bible claims that Jesus will heal every malady in time and right every wrong before we die. Do you know how many have walked away from the faith full of disillusionment? God didn't bring the miracle. Max McLean has a theater company in New York City. He's very good at what he does. He loves Jesus. And he goes around in a lot of theaters. I saw two things at the Arnoff that he did, screw tape letters and uh, Luther on trial. Went to Louisville to watch um, The Reluctant Convert, the story of C.S. Lewis's conversion to Christianity. Well, COVID hit and no theater was open, so he tried to figure out what to do. So he made a movie uh, called The Reluctant Convert. I encourage you. I think you can rent it on some platform. I forget whether it's Netflix or uh, Amazon. I forget. But anyway, The Reluctant Convert. You know what one of C.S. Lewis's problems with God was? He loved his mother. And she was so sweet. And she cared for him. And she got sick. And Lewis prayed that God would heal her as a boy. And he yearned. And he watched her get sicker. And then she died. And he concluded, either this is a really tragic, sick joke, or I don't understand what I need to understand about God, or maybe I just don't want anything to do with God. And he walked away. Do you know how many have prayed and yearned and sought a miracle? You know how many have needed a miracle and hit the wall? And what they perceived to be the miracle did not come and said, I'm out, I'm done with God. And they walked away. This is very important to think through with clarity. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus providing for our every desire on our own terms. He's God. And he's free. And he's not safe, but he's good. 
Is it Lucy who says that or Lucy is told that? I've forgotten in the Chronicles of Narnia. The third cue is this. Conversion to Christ is a great miracle that's still going on. My favorite conversion story in the New Testament is Acts 16, 14 of Lydia. It says, as she listened to Paul teach on the gospel, God opened her heart and she believed. And God's still doing that. The good news about Jesus, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. What would take a distracted heart indulgently engaging in pleasurable satisfaction in the flesh in violation of God's law? What would take a proud sinner's heart and bring change? It's the power of the gospel. It is a miracle for a dead man or a dead woman or a dead 20-year-old man or a dead 20-year-old girl, dead to God, dead to righteousness, not wanting anything to do with that, to be made alive to the glory of knowing Jesus Christ and the adventure of living for him. How'd that happen? It's a miracle. God opens their heart and they believe. I wonder if God has brought you here this morning for such a miracle. Someone is knocking on the door. John in the book of Revelation said of Jesus, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open up, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Has God brought you here this morning to take your cold, sterile, arrogant, not thinking about God, full of assumption heart, and humbling you to place your faith in Jesus and turn away from your sin and come to be forgiven. Be reconciled to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. God is still doing miracles, bringing people to himself. And it's a miracle at five years old, and it's a miracle at 15, and it's a miracle at 80, or a miracle at 55. It's still a miracle, and he's still doing it. If you are delivered from sin through Christ's forgiveness, don't miss the miracle of it all. When God takes a cold, sterile, unresponsive, dead, unbelieving heart and brings people to himself, that's a miracle. And he's still doing miracles. Now, fourth cue, God is pleased when we ask big and leave it with him. This deals with the area of praying for miracles of asking for God to do great things. Do you ask for God to do great things? Don't you think God is pleased when we ask him to do great things? It's fascinating to pray with a person from another faith tradition. Now, having grown up in Pentecostalism, I'm one of the only ones in my family not a part of that. So my sister's involved in an Assemblies of God church plant, is on staff, is kind of like the executive pastor. My other sister and her husband planted a charismatic church. My mom's at an Assemblies of God church this morning, and I love them very much, and I love their love of Jesus. We have different convictions about a few things that are in the New Testament that separates us, but it's fun to, fun to pray together, and we've, we've convinced about this and prayed about things for years, but I actually love to pray for, with a charismatic friend. Their, their prayer goes something like this, Lord, from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, I want the power of 
Christ's healing to course through them to take down every cell of that cancer, if that's the issue, and they'll go on. And I mean, they are asking for the moon. I want you to give them vitality and a long, satisfying life, and they may have a terminal diagnosis. And they're, they're asking for the moon. They're not inhibited by anything. And it's, I love to pray with people who believe God is able. You ever prayed with somebody and you wondered, I mean, did you really believe that's even possible to do what you just said? I love those people who believe God for great things. Now, they end their prayers in ways that I don't appreciate, you know. And, 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 and Lord, we claim this, and, and this is ours, and so we're just taking it right now, and we're taking it from you, and this is great, and, and thank you for this. Then you pray at the Baptist. Same circumstance. Guy's got a horrible cancer diagnosis. Lord. By the way, I want the doctor to have a good night of sleep before big surgery the next day. You know, but Lord, help the doctor. And uh, Lord, uh, help the recovery to go well. Help his wife to sense he's not alone. And uh, help his children not to be afraid. And Lord, we'd love for you to do a great thing, but we want to leave the decision with you, not our will, yours be done. The two different kind of prayers. Somehow we got to come to the middle. we got to ask for the moon. I mean, ask boldly for the moon. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Ask for the moon. But as we finish asking for the moon, we close out with, Lord, you are God and I'm not, and I'm going to trust you. And the great privileges I've had through the years of being involved in James chapter 6 anointings with oil and prayers for healing. One of the last questions I asked the candidate who has requested it of the elders of the church, just try to follow the text. One of the questions that I ask is, among the others, is the final one is, are you willing to accept from God what God decides to do in this circumstance if it's not to heal you completely of this disease? Um, God is honored when we ask big. But there's a great difference than boastful arrogance and assumption and simple trust and asking big and leave it with him. That's where we need to be, right there. How do you pray for a miracle? You ask big, and then you leave it with him, and you ask that his will would be done. Do we ask big at Calvary? Do we ask for the moon with bold confidence, then leave it with him? That's how to pray. Finally, fifth cue, let's live with our eyes open. We never know just what God might do. Back to the two extremes, the natural world, no miracles, just natural laws, versus miracles galore. Stay away from the swings of the pendulum. Robert Saucy is a professor at Talbot Seminary, and I really appreciate a phrase he coined where he said, I'm open, but I'm cautious. I love that. You know what? I believe God can do whatever he wants. And God can and still does miracles, but he does them on his own terms, and he does them for his glory and not for the magnification of anybody who's praying for one. I'm open, but cautious. 
I'm actually not a cessationist in that sense. I think God is free to do whatever he wants. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul noted that some gifts come to cease. We've already associated the gifts, the authenticating gifts with the apostles. We need to be open but cautious and not crazy. God is free and God is able. He's sovereign. I made a friend of Vernon Grounds before he died. He was a president of Denver Conservative Baptist Seminary for a number of years. And he used to fly to Grand Rapids when I was pastoring in Lansing, Michigan, and go to radio Bible class board meetings. I'd go up and pick him up. We'd have dinner, and he'd speak at the church where I was serving. A wonderful man, affable man. I got to know him when he was in his early 80s and just kind of ran it out with him, and he lived in his, to his mid-90s. He was brilliant, had a Ph.D. from Rutgers and had a, a Th.D. from a theological institution, had 10,000 volumes in his library, and he'd read them all, and he, he could cite them, and it's just fascinating to talk to him. I was talking to him one day about miracles, and he said something to me that I never forgot, and I thought, oh, I want to be like Vernon Grounds. He said, Eric, I've never seen a miracle. But my eyes are wide open and I'm looking to see just what God might do at any moment. And I think that posture is one that pleases the Lord. And I think in that environment, God loves to show himself strong. Let's adopt that as our posture here at Calvary. Heavenly Father, We've looked at the miracles of Jesus and we've marveled at the crowd marveling, the glorious restoration of sight and limb and life, the healing mercies of our Lord, the power of our Lord to bring change. What a Savior. We live in a world that's mucked up with the curse of sin and broken travailing, waiting for that day of restoration. That is coming. Until that day, Lord, help us live with expectancy, trusting an able God and giving ourselves to you. Not being disappointed when we ask big and it doesn't come through like we wanted it, but celebrating even the freedom of God to act in ways that are always good and right and perfect, even when we cannot understand. So teach us, Lord, to be your people, given to a resolute trust and a sufficient Savior, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.